The word Selah is found 71 times in the book of Psalms. But what does it mean? We'll find out today on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm so excited to welcome you aboard the Bible bus as we set off for our adventure in Psalms 3 and 4. So as you find your place in God's Word, Greg and I have got a quick update for you. Yes, and as always, we like to touch base with our world prayer team who are traveling on their knees through Middle Africa. So we'll be praying for countries like Equatorial Guinea, Chad, Angola, Cameroon, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And today we want to have a special focus on probably a language that you and I love to say. Yes. The most. What is it? Umbundu. Oh, I love it. I love it. Umbundu, which is spoken by 7 million people, mostly in Angola. They're in Africa. And uh, through the Bible has aired Umbundu now for basically 20 years. Yeah. And one of the things that I like to keep coming back to is, you know, you think, oh, 7 million, that's a lot of people. But you know what? It's not a big number no. for a language. And yes. two things to catch there. Number one, we're in Umbundu. And we've been there for 20 yes. years. Yes. So the ministry of Through the Bible has been going into Angola in that unique mother tongue. And again, the power of that, if you're multilingual, you appreciate this, that the, the language you learned in your home is your heart language. And when you hear Bible teaching or any content in your heart language, when there's not much of that stuff available, yes. you're going to listen. Yes. And it is that long-term faithful commitment to flinging seed that results in uh fruit that comes out of that kind of commitment. In fact, literally this morning, I got an email from a colleague who's traveling in Africa, in Southern Africa, and he sat next to two pastors on a a plane who Hmm. turned out they were from Malawi. And when they heard that he was associated with Through the Bible, they just went crazy. Yeah. Uh, and again, a similar dynamic here in Angola. We have a country dominated by uh, poverty. You have uh, uh, people that say they're Christians, yes. but a lot of false doctrines, witchcraft, and multiplicity of beliefs are common. Very few trained pastors. Let's hear some great testimonies. Yeah, the first one says, I am amazed listening to your program. It impresses me the way you teach the word of God. There are so many people who are unable to listen to this program because they do not have the radio. Therefore, I do some recording and take to them. It is interesting to see people thirsty for the word of God. Thank you for the solid doctrine. God bless this program. Beautiful picture, Steve, of we fling the seed and that seed produces a plant that then flings out other seed to people. I love the way God works. Now, here's another one. I pray God continues to bless your life because you are the only one who teach us good Bible doctrine. Hmm. Wow. I have been listening to this program since the year you began. You can imagine that today I consider myself a Ph.D. in the Bible studies because of your teaching. I thank God and never think of stopping to listen. Wow, such an encouragement. This next one I really want to read. I'm excited about it. It says, I am revising my knowledge about my Bible. I used to be a minister working on church planning. I went to a Bible college from, now get this date, (laughs) 1960 to 1963. So I did a little math. This man is in his 80s, give or take a little bit, at the youngest. I am a retired minister. You are teaching me more than I was taught at the Bible college. I am doing review of the Word of God every evening. I thank God for this program. My wife and I never miss a single episode. God bless you. (laughs) And may I continue to study God's Word and be excited excited about it in my 80s if the Lord lets me live that long. Amen. And we have a model. We have our dear Chairman Emeritus Leo Carlin, who's in his 90s and and spends hours in the Word because he loves it. 
Uh, and we all want that love infused in ourselves. Yeah. Let me pray for the Ubuntu program and our program as it goes out. Lord, we're so thankful for just the ability that you've given us to go into Ubuntu for these last 20 years. We pray that you would continue to bless this ministry as it goes out. And may many people come to Christ and may you be glorified in the U.S. and Canada. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get started in Psalm 3 and 4 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, our study brings us to the third psalm. Last time we finished the second psalm, and we spent some time with Psalm 1 and 2. We saw the perfect man in Psalm 1, the rebellious man in Psalm 2, the rebellion of mankind against Almighty God and how it will be ended by the coming of Christ to the earth. Now we have from Psalm 2 all the way to the next Messianic Psalm, which is Psalm 8, we have a veritable stairway. And this is the section, as well as the rest of the Psalms, that reveal that there is a wonderful organization. That is, the most noticeable feature, I think, about the Psalm is their systematic arrangement. Now you see that as you move through here. So Psalm 3 up through Psalm 8, we have sort of a bridge. I like to think of it as a stairway. We just keep going up to this next great messianic psalm, and that's the 8th psalm. Now we saw in Psalm 2, prophetically, of course, the rejection of God's anointed the Messiah. And we know something about that today. And after 1,900 years, he's still rejected in the world. And in the eighth psalm, the next messianic psalm, we find the prophecy when he, who is the Son of Man, he's going to put all things under his feet. Now, these five psalms furnish the glue that hold these two psalms together. They come between they describe primarily the godly remnant of Israel during the time of the absence of the Messiah from the earth, and especially during that end of the age, which we call the Great Tribulation period. Well, we don't call it that. The Lord Jesus labeled it the Great Tribulation period. And you have here the record of their trials, their sorrows, their persecutions, their problems, and their sins. It's all here. And we also see of the confidence in God and the promises of God and the prayers here for deliverance in the part of the godly remnant. And we are going to see here something of the historical background and the circumstances of these different psalms and why they were penned and who penned them. David, of course, wrote most of them. Now we also see here the trials and the sorrows of this godly remnant in Israel. Now also we find here that all the saints of God share in this world very much the same trials and sorrows. They're common to all of God's people, and it doesn't make any difference who they are where they live and what period of history they lived in. And the comfort 
that is given in these psalms is for all of God's children. So that, let me put it like this, that we have in these psalms, first of all, the personal experience of David. We'll see that in a moment in Psalm 3. Then that is the primary, of course, interpretation. Then there is the application, and I think a direct application, to the nation Israel and to the godly remnant in the great tribulation period. But there is also the application to God's people anywhere, anytime in the history of the world. So that if we look at the Psalms from that viewpoint, actually it'll make it more meaningful to us. Now what we have here in Psalm 3 is this. It's called a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Now that tells us about this psalm. This is the thinking of David. This is what went on in the heart of David when he had to flee from Jerusalem when Absalom, his son, had rebelled against him. It's a very real psalm, therefore, because it came out of the personal experience of this man. Now, we have here, therefore, that experience of David. You see, this man was, I think, in a real bad spot because he became an outcast and a fugitive from his own city, which is called the city of David, Jerusalem, and from his own people where he was king because Absalom, his son, rebelled against him and was seeking his life. He intended to put him to death. And your heart can't help but go out to David. You remember when we went through that historical section David fleeing, and there was the enemy actually cursing him on the sidelines. And David's mighty man, and one of his captains, Joab, says, let me go over and run a spear through him. David said, oh, no. David knew there was coming to him that which Nathan the prophet had said would come to him from God because of his sin. You remember? David didn't get by with his sin at all. When Absalom raised his rebellious heart and that vicious hand against his father, why, well, your sympathy goes out to David. But you remember Nathan had said to him way back in Second Samuel, the 12th chapter, verse 11, listen to this, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I'll raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. Why? Because David had sinned greatly. And now Absalom leads this rebellion. And this man, David, he's actually now hated without a cause. God had graciously forgiven him and restored him, but he has to reap his sin. And it's in Absalom's rebellion that he does it. And we find here his enemies had increased on all sides, for the hearts of the men of Israel went after Absalom. In fact, that's what the Scripture says that the hearts of Israel went after Absalom. He was an attractive young man. And, of course, he was a good, clever politician, is able to promise the people a great many things, actually never was able to deliver, of course. Now, there were many that rose up against David. Shimei, you remember, was the one who reviled him and cursed him. Many ridiculed him. And he went out barefooted and weeping and in sackcloth and ashes, and he passed over Kidron. May I say, it just looked like there was no help for him at all 
anywhere, and he went out. Well, listen to David, will you, with that kind of a background. This is the psalm. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. He's speaking right out of his heart, friends, as he leaves Jerusalem. And he says, Many are they who say of my soul, There is no help for him in God. God has forsaken him. But God hasn't. And thank God today, friends, when somebody says to me, I can't understand how God would put up with a man like David. I always feel like saying to a person like that, Well, if God will put up with David, maybe he'll put up with you and he'll put up with me. (laughs) Thank God he's this kind of a God, friends, that he puts up with folk like this and will forgive them when they come to him. But that didn't mean David didn't pay for his sin. He sure did. And so he says, Many are they who say of my soul, There's no help for him in God. Then we have this word selah. Now, what does the word selah mean? Well, There's been a great deal of discussion as just what Selah really means. It occurs about 71 times in the Psalms. I believe all the Psalms were set to music and to be played by an orchestra and is sung by a great choir. I think that Jerusalem became famous throughout the world. People came there to hear the music of singing these Psalms. And I think this probably was a musical rest. And I think it was a pause, some kind of a pause, probably a musical pause. And I personally think for you and me, that is, if you're just a common sort of a layman that doesn't understand music, it means stop, look, and listen. (laughs) That's what you used to have at railroad crossings. You remember the old cross that was there? Stop, look, and listen. Remember as a boy. When my dad would drive a buggy into Snyder, Texas, sitting in the buggy, we stopped at the railroad crossing. There wasn't but one, of course. And I don't think it was a train in 10 miles of the place, but we always stopped. Stop, look, and listen. And a great many folk today, when they come to the Word of God, ought to do a lot of stopping, looking, and listening. And that's what we have here. Now, listen to David, this probably ends the first stanza. And now he says, I lay down and slept, I awake, for the Lord sustained me. Morning Psalm, as this has been called. And I'm glad the new Schofield Bible has put that at the top here of this psalm, a morning psalm. This is a good one to start the day with. In spite of all of the problem and trouble, David trusted the Lord. He could sleep at night. He wasn't able to get hold of an aspirin tablet or any of these other miracle drugs that can put you to sleep today. But he just trusted the Lord and pillowed his head on the promises of God. And he went to sleep. And he says, I wait for the Lord sustain me. And he says, I'll not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Well, though the whole world be against him, David said, I'm not going to be afraid. <laughs> Someone said to Cromwell. He's considered, by the way, the bravest man that ever lived. They said, what is the explanation of your bravery? Well, he says, if there is any bravery in my conduct, it's because, he says, I fear God, therefore I have no man to fear. Martin Luther also took that position. 
And if there was more fear of God, there would be less of this licking the boots of men today. There's some men that are going around with their tongues black. They spend their time licking other men's shoes. You know why? Because there's no fear of God before their eyes. The thing that'll give you courage is to fear God, and then you'll have no other man to fear at all. And so this man said, uh, David, there might be 10,000. I'm not afraid of them. Now listen to him, verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. And that's where it hurts, on the cheekbone. If you ever get hit there, it'll really knock you out. And so David knew about that. He says his enemies had been smitten on the cheekbone. He says, thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly not able to bite him anymore. Now listen to him here. He says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. And this is a great scripture. Actually, the word belonging is not here. Salvation unto the Lord. The Lord is the author of salvation. David never thought salvation is a coin you could put in your pocket and lose. He never thought it was something he'd have to work out. Salvation was the gift of God. Salvations unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. And then this wonderful word here of Selah. And you will notice that in this psalm, he said some wonderful things about God. Back in verse 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Did you notice that? And then the next thing, you're my glory. And then he says, you're the uplifter of my head. Now, as a shield... Why, he covers those that are his own. We're told to take today the shield of faith as believers. And David knew something about what the shield would do, and he'd used it. And the glory, that's his belief in the presence of God. For the cloud of glory, you remember, was for Israel. It was a visible sign of the presence of God in his midst. Now, we walk today by faith, and the glory of God's with us, friend. He makes himself real to those that are his own today. And then he calls himself the uplifter of his head. And how could that be? Well, he'd promised to build David a house and give him a blessing and a glory and a kingdom. And he says, he's going to uplift my head. (laughs) And today, my friend, we may be down, but he's going to lift us up. This is a marvelous psalm, is it not? Now, the next psalm, Psalm 4, is in this same line. Psalm 3 was the perfect man rejected. And I've labeled this psalm here, the conflict between the seed of the woman and the serpent. And that's what is going on in the world today. And this is called an evening psalm. We'll see why. And it divides itself something like this. You have a cry and the first three verses. Then a correction in the next two verses. Then you have confidence in verses 6 and 7 and 8. This is the psalm. It's a brief one. And this psalm, it has a musical inscription. It says, To the chief musician on Neginoth, a psalm of David. Now, what's a Neginoth? Well, apparently, it must be some sort of an instrument, and it's the belief of a great many today that it is something like a stringed instrument. Actually, probably a stringed instrument solo. And he sings praises in the midst of the church. 
we're told. That's the way the writer to the Hebrews uses this psalm. And here it's a great cry at the beginning. The great refuge for the people of God in time of trouble is always prayer. And God is their shield, as we've already seen. Listen to him. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. That is, distress means pressures, and the pressures of life are great. What do we need today? We need the encouragement that we find in the Word of God. And we have that assurance given us that the Lord is nigh unto them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. That's Psalm 145, 18. And then again, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver thee. Thou shalt glorify me. And that is a wonderful promise of God in Psalm 50, 15. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I'll answer. And while they're yet speaking, I'll hear. It's what Isaiah said in the 65th chapter, verse 24. And then Psalm 18, 6 is very personal. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. And again, as for me, I'll call upon God and Jehovah shall save me. That's Psalm 55, 16. Psalm 86, 7 says, In the day of trouble, I'll call upon thee, for thou shalt answer me. And then again, he says, He shall call upon me and I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. That's Psalm 91, 15. The Bible's just filled with these wonderful promises, and that's the cry here of the psalmist, that God be with him. Now he says here, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him who is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call upon him. How wonderful it is. God will hear our prayer. Then we have the correction that's given here, and it's sort of a warning. He says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. The word is tremble and sin not. We need a little bit more trembling than we're getting today. And then he says here, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. How wonderful this is. Be angry and sin not is the way that Paul translated it when he quoted in Ephesians. Now notice the confidence, the assurance here of faith. And he says here, there are many that say, who shall show us any good? A lot of people saying today, well, everything's gone to the bow-wows. Nothing can turn out right today. Well, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. How we need that today. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their grain and their wine increased. David's heart like the rest of us, it failed in time of trouble. And David here found out that God was good to him. And around them were these unbelievers among their own people, mocking them. 
And they were the ones that said, God's not going to do anything, but God did do something for them. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their grain and their wine increase. And God today, and he alone can make good for us. Now it's an evening psalm. Listen to this. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. This, by the way, is a good sleeping pill at night. Have you ever tried Psalm 4? It's a little better than Psalmonax, by the way, and it's lots better than aspirin, Psalm 4. Oh, how wonderful these psalms are for us today and what they'll mean to God's people in that day of trouble. All right, we'll pick up right there at Psalm 5 next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Join us next time as our exciting journey through God's entire Word continues. Until then, if you want to be in touch, you can visit us. ttb.org online is the place to go, or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'll meet you back here next time. God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.